0: Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Hey guys, hope you're doing well today. Um, I'm on the road. I'm traveling. I'm actually in South Haven, Mississippi at our home office here. I've been here for over a week. I will not be able to record the broadcast tomorrow morning because I will be on a flight from Memphis, Tennessee back to Lynchburg. So, I thought I would just uh, talk a little bit about a question that was posed last week on Facebook Live is about how should the book of Acts be viewed? Uh, The bottom line is after years of teaching ministry, I have come to believe that we are simply interpreting the book of Acts wrong. And the reason we are interpreting wrong is because we are not viewing it as a transitional book. There is a transitioning happening. Uh, between the first chapters of Acts and the final chapters of Acts. There is something going on, and we'll get into this when we get into Acts chapter number one. But the bottom line, it, you, you have to view it as a transition. If you don't, there's going to be contradictions. Um, there's going to be confusion. It's, it has to be viewed as transition. Um, now, those who embrace this view are sometimes derogatorily called hyperdispensationalists, um, which by other dispensationalists, you know, I mean, um, in other words, we begin to subdivide the current agreed-upon dispensationists. And and then others will call it mid-Acts, dispensationalism, meaning, you know, something happened between, you know, at the end of Acts chapter number 7 and the calling of Paul. There was a movement away from Peter to Paul, a movement away from the Jerusalem church to the Antioch church. There was a movement away from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace gospel of kingdom being repentance, baptism, works under the law, to sheer grace by faith alone, just belief. Um, There is definitely a transition there. And like maybe you, as I began to study this, I I didn't have anybody to turn to. I didn't know anyone who taught this. Um, Actually scared me uh, a little bit. Uh, But as I began to study this, the topic and I begin to uh, look around, I found that I am not out on a limb by myself here. Um, But make no mistake, um, there are many dispensationalists, just like me, who have concluded, after comparing scripture with scripture, that many of the things that we have been taught, through the means of what is called progressive dispensationalism are simply incorrect. And as a result, the assumptions are going to have to be questioned. I would encourage you to go and study progressive versus um, classic dispensationalism. Um, Why? Because we are taking things that belong to the nation of Israel and we are misapplying them to the Gentile Church. Now in my opinion, I this is just soft replacement theology. Now a covenant theologian will say they are a they believe in a replacement theology, which means the church has replaced Israel. Well dispensationalists would never say that, but they're actually teaching that. Uh, in the truest sense of the word, uh, they're teaching replacement theology. They are taking promises that were given to the Jew and and moving them over to the Gentile, and the result has led to uh, constant attempts to overcome. This is what got me glaring contradictions that exist between the message of the twelve and the message of the Apostle Paul. And this need not be. The contradictions disappear once the preset filter is removed. And remember, we talked about this, I guess, a couple weeks ago, the number one rule in biblical interpretation is that the Bible must be rightly divided in order for it to make sense and never contradict. If it doesn't make sense, or it's beginning to contradict, then maybe there's a problem with the way you're interpreting it. So the first thing, it it, it has to be understood that God, His initial plan, and understand this, and people get lost here, God's initial plan was not a Gentile church. God's initial plan was to reach the Gentiles through the nation of Israel. After their restoration, which prophetically should have happened at the first advent of Christ. You know, in Isaiah 42 and verse number one, it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring fourth judgment to the Gentiles. Also in Isaiah 49 6 and he said it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel to raise up the tribes of Israel and to restore the preserved of Israel I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation until the end of the earth. It's replete. Isaiah, Isaiah 60, verse number one. Arise and shine for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, thee being the nation of Israel, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. God's plan was to use the nation of Israel for the salvation of the Gentiles. Also in Zechariah 8, 22, 23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And again, there are Many, many, many verses that show that that was God's initial plan to take the light of the gospel to the Gentile nations through the nation of Israel. Of course, there are many more verses, but in the end, the nation rejected their Messiah and they rejected the kingdom that he came to offer. And understand, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not here, but close. And Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Here it is. Here's the kingdom offer. And it was rejected. And as a result, there was a postponement of said kingdom and the mystery of the church. And we'll talk about this later on in our studies, which was an amazing act of grace. Israel deserved judgment, swift and harsh judgment. But God showed the, the nation of Israel grace, and he showed the Gentiles grace, because Israel was unwilling to do what it was supposed to do, so God gave the mystery to the Apostle Paul to do what the, Gent- what the nation of Israel refused to do. And Paul talks about this over and over in Romans eleven twenty five, He said, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness is in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. In other words, Israel has been placed in blindness because of the rejection of their Messiah and his kingdom until the Gentiles become in. So there's only a period of time, we call that the times of the Gentiles. Eventually it will come to an end, and I believe it will come to an end with the rapture of the church. And then God will turn his, his attention once again back to the nation of Israel. In Romans 16, 25, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. This is Paul. Not the twelve's gospel. My gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. The fact that it was secret means it cannot be found between Genesis 1 And eventually being revealed to the apostle Paul. He called it his gospel, my gospel, because it was hid since the world began. So if you look back in the Old Testament and you look in the Gospels and you say, Oh, I found it. No, you didn't. It's hid. And it was not revealed until the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians, he's speaking to the Corinthians in chapter 2 and verse number 7 and says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. It's just throughout. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He's speaking to the church. He's not speaking to the nation of Israel. He is speaking in regards to the rapture. Once the times of the Gentiles come in, once the church age has come to an end, it will end with the rapture of the church. And we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This mortal shall put on immortality. Um, this terrestrial will put on celestial. That's a promise for the church, not the nation of Israel. In Ephesians chapter three and verse number three, how that by revelation he made unto me, he made known to me the mystery. Now he didn't say made known to us the mystery. No, he made it known to me. And in verse number thirty-four, he says whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. In other words, I have a knowledge that the other twelve do not have. I have a knowledge that was not previously revealed because it was hidden since the foundations of the earth. In in Ephesians 3, 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which was from the beginning of the world, it hath been hidden, God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. It's something that was completely hid. It could not be seen. In Ephesians 5.32, this is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's another study. (laughs) But some people will look at that and what Paul is talking about, comparing the church to a bride and Christ as the groom, and will turn around and say that the church is the bride of Christ. No, it's not. The church is not the bride of Christ. Um, I'm getting off my notes here, but in the book of Revelation, um, let's see where it's at, in Revelation 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, there was no more sea, And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, and it says she's adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and he himself shall be with them, and be their God. And then in verse 9 of Revelation 21, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, with had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And then verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain, and he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The bride of Christ is not the Gentile church. Just because Paul makes a comparison... Of the church as a bride doesn't make us the bride of Christ. There's actually a verse in the Old Testament, and again, I'm getting way beyond the borders of the Pride Land here. Um, In Isaiah chapter 62, in Isaiah chapter number 62, it says, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all the kings thy glory. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about Jerusalem. And he says, and thou shalt be called by a new name. New Jerusalem, <laughs> which with the mouth of the Lord, which the mouth of the Lord shall name, thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no longer be termed forsaken; neither shall thy land any more be, any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called, and the word there is Hepzibah, And thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. So again, we look at what the Apostle Paul says, and we We begin to exercise what I call a soft form of replacement theology, and we say the church, the body of Christ, is the bride of Christ. No, it's not. We are not the bride of Christ at all. And then in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 19, And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery. Of the gospel why was it a mystery I mean the 12 were preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand you know years before that all throughout the Gospels but he says there's a mystery to this gospel why because it was given to him and it was hidden from previous a in previous ages in Colossians 1 in verse number 26 even the mystery, with which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Also in Colossians two. 2 That their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. There's a transition taking place in the book of Acts. There is a movement from Peter to Paul, from Jerusalem to Antioch, from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace. And I've explained this before, I think, to this group, I'm not sure, but if you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the first seven chapters of Acts, and you remove chapter 8 all the way through Philemon, and you back up Hebrews to chapter 7, <laughs> that is exactly what could have, should have, would have happened, but didn't. The Messiah came, he offered the kingdom. He said it was near. He was prepping the nation of Israel for repentance, a national repentance, not an individual repentance. The Apostle Paul stands up on the day of Pentecost. He preaches that Pentecostal sermon, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, that you might be filled with the Holy Ghost. And if the nation of Israel would have done that, we would have rolled right into the tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week. And that's what Hebrews all the way through the book of Jude are. They are preparing the nation of Israel, not the church of Jesus Christ, but preparing the nation of Israel for the tribulation period, which would start in the book of Revelation. Even the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation is preparing them for the tribulation period that would commence with the opening of the first seal that's what could have should have would have happened but did not acts is a transition um, in acts 2 37 uh, which I think we've already talked about that so I don't need to go into that I was I was given I, I don't know if I did, I think I did this already with you guys but I'm not sure I'm, I'm I'm in front of different groups, and sometimes I I get my my wires crossed. But for example, in Acts 2.37, I mean, we see Peter finishing his first sermon. He accused the people of killing their Messiah. The Bible says they were pricked in their heart, and they said, what shall we do? Peter says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins, that you'll receive the Holy Ghost. Is that what you and I would tell somebody today? If someone came to us and said, What must I do to be saved? Would we say, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, that you might receive the Holy Spirit? Well, unfortunately, a lot of churches would. They'll say, You need to repent and be baptized, but it's a work of faith. Well, if I got to be repent and baptized, how's it a work of faith? How's it a work of just believing? Obviously, I'm going to have to do that in order to gain the salvation. You're taking the kingdom gospel and the gospel of grace, and you're meshing it into one. And you're creating confusion. You're creating confusion as a result. Only those who are interpreting the scriptures incorrectly would say that you have to be baptized to be saved. And, of course, there's a whole swath of Christians and denominations today that teach what is called baptismal regeneration. But by the time we end up in the latter chapters of Acts, over in Acts chapter number 16, Paul is asked the same question of the Philippian jailer. And in Acts 16 30, he says, He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Same question that they ask of Peter. Men and brethren, what shall we do? But unlike Peter's response, which was repent and be baptized so that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul simply says, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. My friends, that answer is totally different from the one that Peter gave. There's no way around it. Peter's required the work of baptism and repentance, while Paul's did not. Something was different between Peter and Paul. There was a transition taking place. Also in Acts 2.45, if you compare Acts 2.45, which says, And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as everyone had need. Why did they do that? Why did the early church sell everything that they had and parted it to all men, as each had need, because they didn't think they needed it any longer. They thought the nation of Israel was going to repent, the tribulation would come, and very briefly, the Lord would come back and reestablish his kingdom on earth. They didn't. They weren't worried about a 401k or a retirement program at that point. Why? Because they were dispensational in their thinking. They weren't spiritualizing the text. Now, later when this stuff did not happen, yes, the early church, I believe, under Augustine of Hippo, began to spiritualize what didn't physically happen. And that's where we, we arrive at our covenant theology today. And we find over in Acts 11, verse number 29, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren that dwelt in Judea. Why are they sending relief to the brethren that were in Judea? Because the brethren in Judea had sold everything that they had in expectation of the kingdom being established, and it wasn't happening, and now they're all destitute. And the Gentile church is having to send money to The Jerusalem church. Because it didn't happen. And why did they sell everything? Another point, Matthew 19, 21. If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, hast, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You come and follow me. So the early Jerusalem church were doing what Christ told them to do in expectation that the kingdom was shortly to come. But by the time we reach the 11th chapter, the Jerusalem church was destitute. And then we compare Acts twelve eleven. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. God delivered Peter. It was a time of supernatural, but then we get over to acts twenty six thirty two then set a grip unto Festus, this man, which could have been it says set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul didn't get delivered. Paul was arrested. Paul was sent to Caesar Paul would eventually die because of that, so something was happening, a transition was taking place. the supernatural, the power, the signs, the wonders was not happening. they began to disappear. They begin to fall away. Why? Because those were signs of the kingdom that was to come. And once the kingdom was rejected, the signs disappeared. That's what Paul said in his epistle to the Corinthians, that they would fall away, that they would cease, that they would stop. So a transition, a transition was taking place. Peter was losing prominence and Paul was being raised. The gospel of the kingdom, repent and be baptized, was being replaced with the gospel of grace. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There was a transition taking place in the book of Acts. And for it to properly be interpreted, it has to be viewed as a transitional Book. And that brings us to verse number one. So, next time we're together, uh, we'll get into verse number one, Acts chapter number one. I'll miss you guys, uh, but uh, I'll keep posting stuff. Remember, you can follow me on Facebook, Directional Ministries. I also have a closed Facebook discussion board. If you would like to be a part of that, uh, just let me know. I'll send you an invitation to that. Um, I throw a lot of questions for discussion on that, um, so you can check that out. And Then you also check out uh, dwaynespearman.org, which is my blog. It goes a little further because I actually put the transcript of my messages alongside of the YouTube or the SoundCloud recordings, so you can actually see all of that. Also, there's just a huge archive there that goes back forever and a day. Uh, you can actually compare. You go all the way back 2007 <laughs> and see the glaring contradictions uh, in the way I taught Acts then, as compared to the way I view the book of Acts now. So I hope that helps you, and I just encourage you. I mean, when you answer one question, it's going to create another question. And I have found on this journey for over a year now that every time that next question pops up, it is satisfied. And the Bible just begins to, to make so much more sense. For years, I, I, I couldn't understand what Peter and Paul were talking about I, because of the glaring contradictions. Um, you look at the book of James. I have hop skipped around the book of James for years. Um, even Martin Luther pushed the book of James out and would not put it in his translation initially because of the glaring contradiction between what James is saying and what Paul is saying. But let me tell you something. What James said is 100% true. What the Apostle Paul said is 100% true. James was addressing believing Jews who were saved under the gospel of the kingdom, which was a works-based gospel. And Paul was addressing believing Gentiles and believing Jews under, through the gospel of grace, which was by faith alone if you don't rightly divide these books if you do not realize that that there're two different people groups that are being addressed under two di- two different dispensations if you will the word dispensation just means dispensings how god dispenses how god dispenses his grace how god dispenses his dealings with men you're going to 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 the scriptures are not going to make sense and they're going to contradict each other. And I think a lot of people have walked away from the church because they know how to read English, and they can see the glaring contradictions. And and the fruit of that is just hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of different denominations that all go back to an interpretation of the book of Acts, which I believe is faulty, and I believe that many, maybe even some of you that are listening to this, are invested heavily, just as I was in a denomination or a group, and this is radically different, and I have found that most people simply are not, not uh, going to, out of fear, out of rejection, are not going to turn around midstream and admit that they've been teaching it wrong i've got to the point when i look at my young people and i do a lot of uh mentoring discipleship of young uh, college age uh, students people that i am just an open book with them if they see something i don't see tell me if i see something they don't see i mean we're all growing faith to faith day to day there's things I know today that I didn't know yesterday. There's things I thought I knew yesterday that I I really don't know today. I mean, the Bible says we're to press in there. <laughs> Who can know the height, the length, the width, the depth, the love of Christ? It's beyond understanding. Um, I'm not afraid to admit that I don't understand everything. But I but I think my biggest point of growth was when I learned to question what I have been taught. When I learn to question previous assumptions that I have made that I just picked up from someone else. I would encourage you to do the same. God bless you. Hope that you have a great day and I hope to be back with you guys uh, next Sunday morning at 8 a.m. God bless you guys. Remember God loves you Wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.